Isaiah chapters uh, 7 through 9. And uh, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Lord God, we do thank and praise you for your word. Thank you that it is sure, it is reliable. Thank you that you are uh, always consistent and trustworthy. And so we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Meetings should be concluded in the shortest reasonable time. That's what the government say. Those words have been ringing in my head as I've been working on this sermon. And looking at our passage today, I felt a six-hour sermon was the shortest reasonable time possible. Uh, But we don't have that long, so we'll do the best we can. And the passage before us is jam-packed with gospel truth. It is drenched and dripping with words of encouragement and also a real warning. Now, we're not going to get close to wringing it dry, but my prayer is we will all leave with a strengthened, firmer faith in Jesus. It wouldn't be a surprise if many of us are struggling right now. Life, as we are all too aware of, has been massively disrupted. The lonely are lonelier. The busy are busier. The stressed are completely fried. It's tempting to despair, or at the very least, we're looking for answers. Some of us may be finding it hard to trust God, fearful, anxious, tempted to look to other things or people for reassurance. There are always those things that look so secure, so reliable, a stable government, a prosperous economy, a healthy bank balance, good medical health care. And maybe though we're feeling uh, okay, we're doing all right. In which case, uh, these verses, this passage, they're more like an inoculation, a vaccine to mean when we are tempted to put our faith in anyone or anything other than God, well, we make the right call. You see, it's often the thing we're most frightened of which expresses our unbelief. Certainly that's true for Ahaz. If you look down to chapter 7, verse 1, you'll spot we've now jumped forward to Uzziah's grandson, and it's around 734 BC. And this opening narrative sets the scene for the whole section. Chapters 1 to 6 have been like the opening overture, and chapters 7 to 39 begin and end with two kings facing pretty much the same threat with pretty much the same choice before them. Trust the Lord God or not? Can we see in verse 9, that's really the big idea here. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And really this section is an appeal to have a confident, firm faith in God and all the reasons why we should. Although it's addressed in the first instance to Ahaz, he won't listen, And it's written to the exiles to keep them trusting in God. But it's written for our instruction. 
And the first choice we're reminded of in chapter 7, verses uh, 1 to 9, is firm faith or face destruction. Firm in faith or face destruction. And immediately the threat facing Ahaz is obvious. Verse 1, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Isaiah, son of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now, it's helpful to know there is a new superpower on the block. Tiglath-Pileser III, he's the king of Assyria, king of Assyria, which is different to Syria. Just helpful for us to know that. So Tiglath-Pileser III, and he's about to swoop on Judah and the surrounding area. So Rezin and Pekah, two smaller kings to the north of Judah, are trying to force Judah to join up with them by getting rid of Ahaz and setting up a puppet king. Uh, Ahaz, all his people, they can barely hold it together. And so God sends word of uh, comfort, reassurance, and an invitation. Verse 3, the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smouldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let's go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Uh, so here's Ahaz checking the water supplies just in case there's a siege. And what a word he receives. Uh, you know, when you have a campfire and you're just uh, kicking over the burnt logs to make sure they're all burnt through thoroughly. That's all resin and pecker are. They're no threat at all. All Ahaz has to do is trust God. Maybe we remember God's words at the end of chapter 2. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? God even gives Ahaz a timeline, verse 8, that the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. Ahaz is forgetting who he is. The head of Judah is Jerusalem, and the head of Jerusalem is the son of David. He is God's king over God's people. His job is to trust God. And so verse 9 ends with an offer and an ultimatum. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Now there's the, the big question again. Who will Ahaz trust? And to give him a little prompt, Isaiah brings his son along with him, Sheer Jashub. Uh, you'll see if you've got the outline there. We're introduced to four children in our passage this morning. And first up, it's this lad called, A Remnant Will Repent or Return. Uh, the boy is a, a living picture of the repentant remnant. And again, it's an encouragement and a warning to Ahaz and all the people. 
a remnant will return. God won't let his people be completely wiped out. But it's only a remnant. And they are repentant. Only those who turn back to the Lord will survive. And what will Ahaz do? Repent? And not fear, but instead be firm in the faith? We'll just listen to 2 Kings chapter 16. Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house, and he sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. Talk about throwing in the towel. Asking the king of Assyria for help is like one mouse having problems with another mouse and asking a cat for help. Or a seal asking a killer whale for a leg up. It's ridiculous. But isn't this the nature of faith? Faith in God is almost always in the face of difficulties. In every circumstance, there are two perspectives, the human and the divine. And as here, the two are often in conflict. Trusting in God requires patience and perseverance when everything around seems to be signaling disaster and impending failure. Will we take God at his word? The Christian life really is that simple. Taking God at his word day by day. God's word is always reliable. Within 65 years, Israel was smashed. We are firm in faith by taking God at his word. In the not-too-distant future, when we're faced with losing our job because of our allegiance to Jesus, who will we trust? The job so real, so tangible, so necessary, or God? For Ahaz, Assyria seems so real, so tangible, so powerful. But in God's kindness, he even offers Ahaz a sign. And so secondly this morning from chapter 7 verse 10 through to chapter 8 verse 10, God with us or get plundered. God with us or get plundered. It is remarkable God gives Ahaz so much. Verse 10 again. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as shale or high as heaven. God offers to move heaven and earth for Ahaz. But in pretend piety, Ahaz refuses. No, he's already made up his mind. Ahaz said, verse 12, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And now we, we, we hear these words and we can't but think of, uh, of Christmas, of Matthew 1 and, uh, and Jesus' birth. 
Uh, We know Jesus is the true fulfillment of this uh, prophecy. I I hope we are convinced of that. He is the true Emmanuel, God with us. He was the one who was born of a virgin. But I want us just to slow down for a moment. Uh, We will get to Jesus in a bit. But in this first instance, this was a sign for them then. Can we see verse 15? He's eating the food of poverty before he's fully grown up. And uh, verse uh, 16, uh, pecker and resin, they, they will be dealt with soon. So child number two is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's a sign of short-term good news, uh, longer-term bad news. Because by verse 17, just see right at the end there, Assyria, the very one Ahaz has put his trust in, will come against God's people. But who is this Emmanuel in the immediate context? I reckon there are two main options as far as I can tell. Option one is Emmanuel is the same child as child number three. We meet him in uh, chapter eight, eight verse one. The Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Mahashal al-Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah, the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahashal al-Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Uh, Mahashal al-Hashbaz means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. And certainly there are similarities, aren't there, between 7 verse 16 and 8 verse 4. But we've already met Isaiah's first son, Shear Jashub. It makes it a bit harder for Isaiah's wife to be a virgin. So I think where the text points us is to see Emmanuel as the repentant remnant. That's option two. Uh, Later on, Isaiah talks of the virgin daughter of Zion, chapter 37. Or in chapter 66, she's uh, pictured giving birth. Or just in our passage, if you glance down to uh, verses 18 to 25 of chapter 7, four times we get in that day. Uh, In that day is Egypt and Assyria, double-team Judah, four scenes of devastation. And in verse 22, the food the remnant will eat, curds and honey, it's the same as the food Emmanuel eats. The food of those who've lost their fields, who don't have any mates to share with. And then if you skim over to chapter 8, verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, They rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. They've refused God's gentle waters, so they'll be flooded up to their necks. It's like that scene in a film where someone's uh, trapped in a a sinking ship and there's that just tiny pocket of air left as they go up to breathe. Uh, God's people almost all wiped out. Uh, But in verse 8, the whole land is referred to as Emmanuel. And then again comes Emmanuel, verse 10. So could it be Ahaz refuses a clear sign 
So God gives him an obscure one. It's clear to Isaiah, but not Ahaz. Isaiah is already doing his chapter 6 ministry of causing people not to hear and see as Ahaz refuses to listen. Emmanuel, God with us, is true for the repentant remnant. They embody the truth. But Ahaz can't see or won't. And if this is right, then Mahashal al-Hashmaz is kind of the flip side of the same coin. He's the, the obvious, more public sign, particularly of judgment. And so once again, there's this contrast. There's the sign of God with us, or there's the sign of rapid ransacking. Both are good in the short term. Syria and Ephraim or Israel dealt with. Both bad in the longer term as Assyria looms large. Again, what God's saying through Isaiah is a promise of protection, but also a word of warning. It's a reassurance. God will be with the repentant remnant. God with us is great news and true for them, but disaster will come swiftly for those who refuse to repent. If you're in Nazi-occupied France and the Allies come sweeping through, it is great news if you're part of the resistance. It is terrible news if you've been a Nazi sympathizer. These words are meant to encourage faithfulness to God because he will be with those who turn back to him. And Jesus, as the true Emmanuel, gives us the clearest evidence of this. God isn't with people in an abstract, general way. He is with us personally, as our God in the person of Jesus Christ, if we put our trust in him. You see, he's not with all people unconditionally. God wasn't with Ahaz because he refused to put his trust in him. Maybe we too know we're pushing God's word to one side. Well, God in his kindness gives us far more than Ahaz got. In a time when there was an unbelieving king on the throne, at a time when God's people were facing the threat of a foreign power, God's promises were once again bound up in the birth of a child. Will we take God at his word? Do we want God with us? Look to the true Emmanuel, the true remnant. Jesus Christ, born that first Christmas. If we're not yet a Christian, will we turn back to God? It is the same binary choice, God with us or swift destruction. And in Jesus, we see just how brilliant it is to turn back to God, the the kindest, most gracious, most loving welcome. And we also see how we can turn back to God as Jesus dies on the cross to deal with our sin. But again, before we get ahead of ourselves, Isaiah turns to the question in his day. Well, who will form this remnant? And again, responding in repentance and faith or refusing to result in one of two distinct outcomes. We've already seen, haven't we, the soothing waters versus the flood. And next we get the sanctuary versus the stone of stumbling and darkness or light. And so in 8 verse 11 through to 9 7, we're considering the final contrast Fear the Lord or forced into darkness. Now let's pick it up in verse 11 of chapter 8. 
For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, for they shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So in one camp, we've got our Isaiah and his followers who fear the Lord. At verse 17, they wait for the Lord. They, they hope in him. They keep his word. But on the other hand, there are those who refuse to listen to God's word. They refuse to go God's way, and they will stumble and fall and be broken on God himself. Now, they, they won't fear the Lord. Instead, they fear their enemies. They fear these conspiracies. And as is so often the case, it's not that the people can't believe. They won't believe. Here, God's people are turning to anyone and anything except God and his word. Just look at verse 21 again. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's not a pretty picture, but it's where rejecting God's word gets you. But crucially, it's not where Isaiah leaves us. Uh, once again in this book, we get a deliberate crunch of gears. Chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Isaiah now looks forward to after the northern kingdom has been smashed. And now, light breaks in. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And as the excitement escalates, we find this light, this joy, verse 3, this victory, verse 5, is all bound up in a child again. And verses 6 and 7 of the crescendo. Uh, now the promises are so big, uh, so momentous, this is only looking ahead to Jesus. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the Lord of the Rings, Sam asks, is everything sad going to come untrue? It's a longing we all have. But this is no fairy tale, no fiction. Wonderful counsellor. Here is one who is supernaturally wise, who always makes the right call. We can always turn to him. Mighty God. Here is God coming in power, in might, for his people. 
everlasting father. Here is one who will care for his children forever, protect them, provide for their every need. And prince of peace, here is one who will rule in peace. Perfect restoration, perfect relationship. It explains, doesn't it, why there's light, there's safety in this child, because he's divine, he's the king. God will once again bring light out of darkness as he enters his creation. So it's no surprise when we get to the New Testament, we discover this fourth child, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is one and the same as Emmanuel, God with us. All the threads come together in Jesus. So, of course, to reject him is to trip over a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. 1 Peter chapter 2 or Romans 9. To come to him today is to have freedom, to have life. As Zechariah says in Luke 1, Jesus has come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. I was reading just a couple of days ago, in fact, about one medic in the UK who watched eight patients die on her shift. It's awful, isn't it? Uh, or um, uh, Claire and I, we uh, heard just the other day of a, a father, uh, a, a chap, his father and his 12-year-old son both died from COVID. It is tragic. And it brings home to us the inescapability of death. We live in the shadow of death. It's put it back on the radar. Without Jesus, we are wandering in darkness, living in the shadow of death. But in this wonder child, this divine king, there is security and light and life. A faith in Jesus is not a leap into the dark, it is a leap into the light. And wonderfully, gloriously, it's not all ultimately down to us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God has brought all of this about in and through Jesus. So looking back from our perspective, we see how we can be part of the repentant remnant by trusting in Jesus. How can we have Emmanuel, God with us? Come to Jesus. Where do we meet this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? In the person of Jesus Christ. We will face many temptations to trust anything and anyone other than him. We'll be tempted to think, is God really with us? God isn't with us. And so the call is the same. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, perhaps uh, life isn't so tough for us. Work's going well. Lockdown's not great, but frankly, we're coping. Uh, well, I heard this refrain, a very helpful refrain recently. When you're at your best, plan for your worst. It's true in battling sin. It's also true when suffering strikes. There will be times when it's harder to trust God and take him at his word. And so this has forced me to ask myself, is a robust confidence in Jesus evident in my life? There should be something obviously distinctive in where my hope and assurance lie. But before we get too introspective, the answer isn't to look within. 
Uh, the answer isn't even to look at these signs in Isaiah 7-9. to The signs aren't the basis of faith for Ahaz or for any of God's people. Evidence cannot create faith. It can only confirm it. Now, faith is always in God's word. Where there's not faith, evidence is merely unwelcome, something that has to be explained away. And God's word is always an irritant to be ignored or rejected. We live now as the remnant, knowing God is with us by trusting in thee, Emmanuel. We fear God by putting all our weight in his rescuing king. We remain firm in faith by taking God at his word. Martin Luther, the reformer, understood this well, and he wrote a poem which um, Ahaz would have done well to take on board, and we'll finish with this. Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Naught else is worth believing. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Let's pray together. Some words from 1 Peter 3. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy. Heavenly Father, you know where our hearts are at, whether we are facing fears, feeling anxious, or whether we are standing firm. In whatever situation we find ourselves, would we look to Jesus and have a confident trust in him? Would we be those who are firm in faith by taking you at your word? And as we do so, would you help us day by day, have no fear of those around us, but honour Christ the Lord as holy. In his name and for your glory we pray. Amen.